Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Sure is good to hear you today. I look forward to uh, getting together and uh, talking about these texts, thinking about preaching today. We're moving uh, our minds in the direction of the 20th Sunday after Pentecost. These are the texts for October the 15th. 2023. I know you've been thinking on it. I know you got an idea too. So uh, tell us what you got on your mind today, Bubba. Well, well, first of all, as we record this, it is Canadian Thanksgiving Day. So if we have any listeners north of the border, can and we do, enjoy your Thanksgiving Day. I'm wondering, is the CFL playing football today? Is that the way y'all celebrate like we do down here? Sure, happens. I love. Yeah. I love the Canadian Football League. I just love to see all the backfield moving in, you know, mm-hmm. going on one time and big, huge field and throwing ball. It's just more fun to me than the yeah. NFL. There you go. There <laughs> so, you go. Anyway, y'all have a wonderful Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. day uh, in Canada. All right, here we go. Um, we have a difficult gospel. It's an odd and difficult story. Mm. Um, it's the third of three parables about the kingdom of heaven. And I, I just want to start by talking about being careful of supersessionism. Mm. Uh, because if we're not careful, you can kind of play allegory and move to an unreflective kind of anti-Semitism. Mm. Yeah. So the old guest, the originally invited guest, uh, that does not equal quote the Jews in quotation marks as a as a race. Yeah, and the new guest uh, does not equal the Gentiles, and I've heard it done that way or the new. That's not what that's about, and we'll nope. come back to that in a minute. I just want to say that up front in case you get cut off or move. Don't get to hear the rest of this. <laughs> Please Be don't go that way. Careful yeah. with yeah. this test; it's difficult. So what what we want to do is I want to build off of. Uh, both the Hebrew scripture text, the one that's a semi-continuous reading, and the one that's connected Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. the gospel lesson. Uh, On a basic theme, uh, there's an R theme. I'm catching your alliteration disease. Rebellion, (laughs) repentance, recompense, reward, repentance, etc. You know, Mm -hmm, all the R's mm -hmm. there. Of sin, wrath, and judgment, coupled with uh, you know repentance, punishment, reward, all of this is all tied up together in all three of these texts. So I want to talk about the three of them together as we think about how those dynamics work their way out. Not only in, for the Hebrew people, mm-hmm. not only for the early church, which is who Matthew's, but for us. How does how does this apply? to us and our churches. And then after we do all of that, 
we're going to provide a safety net. If you just don't <laughs> want to deal with any of this, we can talk about Philippians. There you go. That's what, uh, we'll one talk of, about Philippians. <laughs> one of the great reasons that epistle text sometimes uh, comes in handy. So, yeah. Here you go. Oh, my. Oh, look, here. Here's Paul. He's saying yeah. sweet stuff. We can deal yeah. with that. So yeah. here we go. Well, I apologize for uh, alliteration catching on to you, but Sunday right. I had a, a thing I was saying to my congregation, and I said, and as you know, with my fondness for alliteration, and I proceeded to give them, you know, three, three things, and it was sort of a collective congregational eye roll, kind of like, <laughs> oh, boy, here we go again. <laughs> You know, they figure us out after a while. They do. They do. Uh, <laughs> and it, I dare say, knowing that congregation and you, it was an affectionate eye it roll. It was an affectionate eye roll. And then when we, folks come up at the uh, coffee hour afterwards and use the alliteration you just used, you realize, hey, they at least they grabbed it. Uh, they got and, it. Yeah. All right. Good stuff, man. Let's just jump let's in. Let's go and jump into Exodus. I, I love that the line that Moses was delayed. And so you look back and, you know, God's finishing up the um, the tablets on stone. Mm-hmm. So I call this, oh, Moses was having printer trouble. Printer <laughs> trouble. <laughs> That's why he was late with the documents. There he you was go. having printer, we can printer trouble. And uh, the key to this story is uh, a covenant was totally violated. And what's interesting is how soon after this covenant ceremony that we just read about a couple, in the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. was completed, that this happened. This is like having an affair on your honeymoon. Mm. <laughs> Seriously. Oh. oh, This is what it's like. Mm. They, they had made all these commitments, and God made commitments to them. And then mm-hmm. Moses, they're, they're looking at their watch. Where is he? You know, yeah. uh, where'd he go? We... And it's interesting, the translation NRSV has um, basically that uh, to Aaron, make gods for us who shall go before us, mm-hmm. etc. A different way of reading reading the Hebrew there is saying, where is Moses? Who will go before us? Who will lead us? Mm-hmm. You know, and the question, what they're saying is that their sudden anxiety yeah. about the future, but they feel leaderless and yeah. they need something. And, and we got to remember who mm-hmm. these people were in this mm-hmm. story. They were people who had never had self-determination. Yeah, they'd been told what to do all of their lives. And liberation is relatively recent here. And it's not that they all woke up one day and said, let's plan a rebellion. I think you're right in terms of the reading. We don't know what's happened. So we we need to do something. He went off up on the mountain and and he might be dead and we're sitting out here. We need need a God. We need leadership. Mm -hmm. We need somebody to lead us. And Aaron, bless his heart, as we say in the South, um, he, he's kind of weak and a little bit cowardly, and he's trying to figure out what to do. Now, what's interesting here mm-hmm. is that he says, all right, uh, you need something to focus on. He tries to give him a focal point. Mm-hmm. So he says, give me all your gold, and, and, and they make this, make this calf. But then he saw it, and he built an altar and a proclamation, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. So that's 
capital L O R to Yahweh. So he's trying to mix up the two. He's trying to say, okay, let me give you something to look at since you don't have Moses, but this is a violation of idolatry. And then later outside this text, when, when Moses comes and confronts him, he says, well, we threw the gold in and this calf came out. Just talked out. <laughs> Wasn't my fault. It just happened. I've had a five-year-old with better stories than that. Oh, my goodness. He yeah. knew he had messed up. But well, I think Aaron adopts a, uh early version of what I see sometimes. And I, I don't mean to be mean by it, but I, I am kind of calling to task the attitude that says, well, we want to do something over here, and it's clearly our idea, you know, but we're going to rub a little Jesus on it and make it holy. Um, and so Aaron's like, well, I'm going to build an altar down here, and maybe that'll you know, scoot by. Speak, speaking, speaking about alliteration, this just reminds me, when you say rub a little Jesus on it, mm-hmm. you know, there was, there was, uh, there used to be the, uh, these people had come around to evangelical churches with this display, what I called He-Man Christianity for the teenage boys, you know, and it was karate and it was ex- or ex- powerlifting. We, call, we yeah. called it karate for Christ. There you or, go. Or during the <laughs> Vietnam War, and they'd bring a green beret to talk about his service. And we called it behind the scenes, we call it kill a commie for Christ. You oh, know? boy. It's, oh, you boy. Know, rub a little Jesus on rub it, and it makes it okay. Rub a little Jesus on it. Yeah. And so, yeah, so he, he rubs a little Yahweh on this, mm-hmm. and um, it doesn't work out. So the structure of this story, so you got this rebellion. The structure is that the first part, one through six, is a dialogue between Aaron and the people. And the people, Aaron, appointed task would have been Patience, we can trust God, Yahweh, we can trust Moses, Moses and, yeah. and they'll be back, he'll be back, and, and uh, but instead, he tries to soften that and keep everybody together. And we as, as church leaders mm-hmm. need to look at Aaron and say, have we done some of that? When people mm-hmm. have felt impatient, worried that God's not present? Have we tried to come up with something that makes yeah. it feel like God's there? Have we stirred up activity in the congregations to, to to put at rest their fear that nothing's happening? When perhaps we needed to pay more attention to the admonition throughout Scripture to wait upon the Lord. Yeah. And they're unwilling to wait upon Moses, wait upon the Lord. They get anxious and do something stupid. And the church can sometimes get anxious and worried that things aren't moving, and they go out and do something stupid to get things going. So that first one through six is that conversation. Seven through ten is Yahweh to Moses, and this is a picture of God we don't like to see very often. Yeah. He is so bad. He basically says, those inconsiderate people, those ingrates, I'll kill them. And to go back to my somewhat facetious affair on the honeymoon, mm-hmm. the the spurned spouse is pretty not pretty unhappy, and you can see this response. Yeah, you can see this. And now this story was told many years later as a part of saying this is this is who we think God is. Yeah, but this story tells us who God really is because mm. Moses said. Uh, intercedes mm-hmm. 
he talks. And here's interesting in the verses 11 through 14, what he says to God. He says, all right, now wouldn't you be ashamed of yourself before the Egyptians? Because if you do that, they're going to say, well, he had this in mind all along. He's just pretending to care about this people. He just mm-hmm. took them out there to kill them. Yeah. That would be bad. And he said, and remember, you said you're going to do a big through people through me, Moses, but you promised to do it with Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jake. Been going on a long time. And are you going to forget your promises? This is another mm-hmm. constant theme in Scripture is calling upon God to remember God's promises, mm-hmm. just as God calls upon the people to remember their promises. Right. And this is the nature of a covenant is that when it gets tough, you remember your promises. Mm-hmm. You remember what commitments you made to one another. And, yeah, and I, I want to pick up that very quickly. We've been talking and often do about covenant is a two-way thing. It's it's right. back and forth. And sometimes we think the give and take, we don't think so much of give and take with God, but particularly Hebrew Scripture shows a very uh, vivid and clear give and take. We saw it in Abram, et cetera. Remember a few weeks ago, when it was Moses who was pouty, and I'm like, these people are complaining, I'm going to give up on them. And God said, well, you know, just be patient, and, you know, here's what we're going to do. And we said then, we're going to get the flip side. Now it's God who is, I'm not going to call God impatient, but you're right, that wrath is burning. And it's Moses who reminds God, holds God to the covenant. So, interesting. Well, and, and, and if you're not a fan of ambiguity and paradox... Uh, you're going to have trouble with the God of the Hebrew Scriptures mm-hmm. because if you set up a kind of a Greek philosophical God of immutable, in, <laughs> you know, there's a hymn, invisible, immutable, impassive, you know, never changes, and some some heavy kind of Calvinism and some Lutheranism with the kind of predetermined plan that just flows and everything's going to happen the way God determined it, doesn't allow for an interactive God. But this part of the dialogue, this part of the discussion, as mm-hmm. I call it in the Hebrew script, this this effort to figure out who God is says God can be angry, but God can repent. Mm-hmm. God can change God's mind. God did. And God did. God repented. That's, that's the language I think I would emphasize there rather than just... Uh, God changed his mind about the disaster he planned to bring on his people. God repented. Mm-hmm. And you'll find this in other places. The story of Jonah, some a lot of other places, you'll find God repenting of the evil he yep. intended. So Psalm 106 is a long, long kind of confessional psalm that goes through the history of Israel in a kind of confessional way. Verses 1 through 6 is kind of the lead up to confession. You know, we trust God in various things. With verse 6, I'm going to confess. And then 19 to 23, it skips down to this particular incident and just recounts this particular piece. And so this obviously goes with that that Exodus text about the people confessing what they have done. Um, So we move to Isaiah, which is the one that's tied in here today with the gospel lesson directly. Um, and the tie-in has to do with the destroying of the city. You know, that's the direct kind of right. tie-in. The context of this story is first Isaiah, 
1 through 39, which was written before the exile. So you've mm-hmm. got not Babylon as the world power down to the mm-hmm. southeast, but you've got Assyria up to the northeast. You've got exile is not something they're struggling in the midst of or recovering from. It's a future possibility and threat. And so this image here is of two cities that, that they use here. You've got three things going, going on. Um, you have the ruthless, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. in the city. You've got these evil folk that it talks about, who get punished. You have the refuge for the poor and needy in the midst of this destruction that God right. provides a shield and a shade for people. And and you have redemption at the end for, faith, for the faithful. So what Isaiah is getting at is these bad things, this is God's mm-hmm. response to the way the world is. These are these evil folk. Doesn't name them. There's a little bit mm-hmm. of alien, but a ruthless city, mm-hmm. unnamed city. I think it's um, it's an image for, I don't think it's an actual, he's got an actual city in mind. You know, but they it's, they kind of know what he's talking about. There's, there's some bad folks out there. And they're after you. Stuff. Yeah. And, and, and this is a promise to the Israel that we're going to provide. But what's interesting is it's not us versus them because when he comes down to the redemption, it's all peoples. Mm-hmm. He's talking about toward the end, all peoples. And the refuge for the poor and the needy, needy in the midst of all this destruction of the leaders. It's, it's a fascinating psalm. It's also interesting, I mean, it is a psalmic, if you look at the way it's done mm-hmm. prophetically, it's, it's poetic right. more than prose. Verse 7 is reflected in the gospel, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four about death being swallowed up. Right. And verse 8 is in um, Revelation 21, 4, about tears mm-hmm. being dried. So it's very influential on the, the Christian and uh, Scripture's understanding of what mm-hmm. the ultimate time. So this is the other aspect of this connection with the uh, gospel yeah. lesson because the gospel lesson is an image of the messianic banquet and who's in and who's out mm-hmm. and this from isaiah is that day yeah. that that ultimate day of the of god's ultimate judgment and everything comes together in this great feast mm-hmm. both of those are that same moment when all are all peoples come together and god's justice is fulfilled as Theodore Parker said and Martin Luther King made famous, the moral arc of the universe bend, is long, but it bends toward justice. And this is that justice moment that comes at the end that both of them are reflecting on. Um, you know, i got to throw my Luther pill in here. Yeah. Verse 9, Luther said there are only two days that matter. The day and that day. On that day, only two days that matter, the day and that day. The, the past is past and what Christ did, to create all that leads up to, but only two days that we deal with that matter, what yeah. we do today and that day. So, so it makes me wonder if uh, 
the uh, writers of a famous uh, series on HBO years and years ago, <laughs> which I recently rewatched. The Wire. I, I'm, yeah. I'm a Wire fan. Great cast, yeah. many of them early in their careers, great writing. And the re repeated line through there is when they have to, uh, several of them end up going to jail, you know. And the repeated line is, it don't matter. And, and got to do but two days. The day I come in and the, the day, day I get I out. out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there, no, I, I think that's a, a, an excellent view. There's today and there's that day. And what we do today, we do in view of the promise that of that day. Yeah, so, that's good. So we've got built up. We've got this whole so notion of of relationship with God, covenant with God. With with the Exodus, we have this vision that they, they, the people had entered into this covenant and immediately violated it, and God was going to punish. But then we have this pivotal moment that continued then repeating itself. Mm -hmm in which God repents of the evil planned to do. Notice he didn't repent because the people repented. He didn't forgive them because no, they asked for no, forgiveness. No. He didn't do anything because they said that it was because Moses reminded God of God's mercy and justice and promises. And promise. God forgives because of who God is, not because of who we are or what we do. Correct. So that's set up, and then that pattern falls. So Isaiah's reflecting off of that tradition when he's looking at it and saying, you know, we are violating, of the, these people are violating of that covenant relationship. But God will protect the poor and needy in the midst of this distress. And God will, in the future, uh, it's an eschatological salvific oracle, mm -hmm. in some banquet to the future, God will provide for all people, and every death will be swallowed up. Tears will be mm -hmm. wiped away. Feasts will happen. Good stuff. And that, and so, building off of this, we get this Matthew story. Yeah, yeah. we got the sin punishment issues. We have the messianic banquet, the that day banquet, that time when God's going to call all people, and within the particular context. We've got the scribes and Pharisees, and remember this is after in Jerusalem, after Jesus has come on the triumphal end, mm -hmm. after he's had the moment in the temple, and they are asking him, by what authority do you do these things? And he talks about John the Baptist a bit. Then he talks about the two sons, one who said yes and one who said no, and one mm -hmm. who lived no and one who mm -hmm. lived yes. Then you got that story from last week with the people the vineyard and such. vineyards, mm -hmm. and they keep sending the slaves and killing them, and he kills the son, and so he takes it away and gives it to somebody else. And so we got another. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, uh, parables and allegories are not slice-of-life stories. Right, right. We make this mistake too often. Parables and allegories are exaggerated. They are skewed. They are more akin to fairy tales and to somewhat to farce, mm -hmm. somewhat mm -hmm. to comedy, in that comedy takes things out of context and puts them out of proportion 
to make a point. So mm-hmm. be aware of that as you look at this story. And along with all of that, it is not, the parable is not a piece for straightforward teaching. No, no, right? no, no. It is yeah. there to upset the apple cart of your mind and go, wait a minute, right. this doesn't make sense. Wait, what's going on? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not like saying, okay, so what you got to understand is Jesus was like this and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, make these parables. This is a story that's leading to a surprise moment. Like comedy, the reason things are funny, if you can define that at all, is the twist. Correct. When you get to the end and you're expecting one thing and something bizarre happens and it's either funny or frightening. One example, I just saw it on TV the other the other day. Um, guy was talking about a classic old vaudeville routine, and it's the basis of all, all humor. This guy said, yeah, we've been together so long. The husband and wife are standing there. We've been there. Great. Let's just say George Burns and Gracie Allen did yeah. this bit years ago. And so we've been together so long, we finish each other's yeah. sentences. But so. Gracie says... We've been, he said, we've been together so long that we finish each other, and Gracie says, sandwiches. <laughs> it's unexpected, Did you? but it fits cha-ching. Yeah. It's the basis of humor. The basis of a parable or allegory is the same. You go along thinking this makes sense. It begins to not make sense, and then there's a twist that's totally mm-hmm. unexpected. Mm-hmm. So what you got here... <laughs> Uh, and also, and it's also it becomes uh, it increasingly becomes unrealistic, and you're wondering where is this going, and then it gives you the twist. And it, it's it's unre- it's all people here are Jewish. In this story, be aware of that. So there's no these are the Jews and these are the Gentiles. Everybody in this story up to is is mm-hmm. Jewish. Mm-hmm. You have to recognize that the story was written after 70 A.D when Jerusalem had already had been destroyed. So the Jewish list readers of this story, as Matthew was laying it out, would have Jerusalem's destruction in mind. There is some intent to comment on Israel's history. But notice in the Hebrew scriptures, there's always that notion that when Israel has suffered, some kind of destruction that God is instrumental in making that happen. So this is nothing new. The question is why? Mm-hmm. So what you've got, what you've got here, is the king is God at a certain level mm-hmm. for the thinking, and the son is Jesus. So you got the first and second set of invitees are the scribes and Pharisees, the leaders of Israel. The first set of slaves that go out and announce are the Old Testament Hebrew prophets. And the mm-hmm. second set of slaves are probably John the Baptist and his disciples. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, they kill them. And so you've got this story. And so here's where, it, then it goes off the track. The mm-hmm. dinner's ready, right? Mm-hmm. But he, let's take a time out and go invade a city and kill everybody. And then invite everybody, and the dinner's still ready. The banquet, you know, mm-hmm. unrealistic. And then, so it's it's moved into the realm of moving toward the point. So everyone's invited, good and bad. Not just the observant, not just the ones that fit within the category that either the Pharisees or the scribes, you know, 
either the temple worship or the righteousness of of exactly following the law, mm-hmm. everyone's invited. This sounds great. Everybody gets to get in. But then there comes this business of the wedding garment. Yeah. Now, be cautious here. Luke tells a version of the story in which he says, go out in the highways mm-hmm. and byways and get the poor and the needy. So some people have said, and so it's unreasonable because the man was could not have bought a the expensive wedding garment. That has nothing to do with anything. That's from Luke's thing. This is Matthew's story. Yeah. There's no assumption this is a poor man. He just invited everybody. Good and bad. So what is the wedding? And this he gives him weirder when he throws him out. He doesn't just throw him out in the street. He throws him into outer darkness. Mm-hmm. Now we've moved into kind of it's science fiction. Apocalyptic. Science, kind apocalyptic of realm, you know. And then it says there'll be gnashing of teeth. So he's taken this from a story about a wedding to a, to an apocalyptic end times messianic mm-hmm. banquet in which all are invited, but some aren't qualified. Mm-hmm. And here's the, and it takes on this turn with another but verse eleven. Verse 11, you've got the but. When the king came in to see, saw the man without the wedding banquet, and he said, how'd you get in here? Now, what point is Matthew Jesus making with this twist, this bizarre turn Mm -hmm. to an increasingly bizarre story? Well, I think, and many writers think, that the point is, do not let grace become permissiveness. Mm-hmm. All are invited, everyone, good and bad, everyone. God's grace covers all. There is an acceptance of all people, but that does not mean the condoning of all behaviors. The wedding, ba- the wedding garment, is that putting on Christ? Mm-hmm. What is uh, I'm I'm working yeah. on this, yeah. and I'm thinking what this is about is saying to the early church, this is aimed at mm-hmm. as written at the early church, yeah. and it's saying y'all are feeling pretty good about the scribes and the Pharisees and all their legalism, not being the win out. See, they they rejected Jesus and all that, and then you guys have accepted Christ, so you figure. You know, you took the invitation. Everything's fine. We're at the banquet. But hold on a minute here. Mm. Have you really, you not only accepted Christ, have you put on Christ? Mm. Have you accepted, have you taken up your cross, as Jesus frequently said? Have you followed after Christ? Have you embraced that? And this is a a difficult one because there's no direct line. This is that discussion I started talking about early on between law and gospel, mm-hmm. punishment and repentance, God's forgiveness, not because we deserve it, but because God is God. And we have a difficult time figuring out exactly as proclaimers how to define this. It's easier believe, and more popular to do to one of two things. One is to define these are the things you have to do to be yep. saved. 
Yep. And it's obvious that everybody in this room has done those, and we just need to get the rest of the world to get in line. And you define it, you categorize it, and you encourage people to follow it, and everybody feels assured they're saved because they've done those things. Hmm. Or it's pretty easy to say, we welcome everyone. God is a God of love and graciousness. Everybody can come. And that is, I think, the pervasive theme of a right. lot of mainline Protestantism. Mm-hmm. Might as well say liberal Protestantism, but it's not. Ex- they say that, but it's not exactly true mm-hmm. because there is a list of behaviors that they will say, oh, everybody's been judging that forever, but, but we don't want to judge that. God accepts all. Does God accept all fascists? Does God accept all... MAGA supporters? Does God accept? Uh, I often said in the church, mm-hmm. in the liberal church, my church, the church I love, we we have cr- our arms wide open, but our left arm is wide open and our right arm's pretty close to yeah. our chest. <laughs> our left arm might be a little wider than yeah. And and I'm not I'm not condemning anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm saying. Watch, when you say you're accepting of all, we're not. And we shouldn't be. We can accept all people without condoning all behavior. And there comes a point at which you have to examine, have we accepted the grace of God in vain? Mm. Have we said, oh, yeah, I'll take some of that. It's like, like I would, I would, Oscar Wilde, I think, after after his arrest and his time in reading jail, he took very seriously struggling with Christianity. Mm-hmm. But I think well before that, he did not struggle with accept, his acceptance of understanding the faith. He was glib about it, as he's glib about most things. And he said, sure, I'm religious. God it likes to forgive. I like to sin. It's a nice arrangement. Mm-hmm. And how much of that do we embody in the church by saying God accepts everyone, loves you no matter what you've done? Mm-hmm. At what point do we say, but? And we, we think about it with our children. I'm going to end with that. I've mm-hmm. got, you, you got kids and you love them with all your heart, mind, and soul. You can't just do. But you have to say no for their sake. Yeah. You have to shape them. And there's discipline. And I, don't, I think it's wrong of us to think that God's love and acceptance excludes any sense of saying there are ways you sh- one behaves when one puts on Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I this is a sticky wicket. You allow you allowed that when we started to say, "Whoa, that's a tough passage today." All I can add is this feller there at the end. He's in the banquet. He yep. maybe he's already chowed down on half a rack of ribs or or whatever they were serving, you know, he's at the banquet, he's in. And then the king, why aren't you wearing a robe? You didn't think enough to put on a robe, you you know? And and so if we are going to read this as the word to us as the church, we're we're in, but what kind of outer garments are we putting on? And uh, are there th- ways in which we are uh, soaking up the benefits, but not representing 
the occasion very well. And there are some, um, I'm just going to say that the, the church that belongs to Christ has been seen and known in some rather unchristlike ways yep. in the world. And so I think you have to sit around with this tension. Those of you that notice we're always looking for tension in the text. There's plenty here. What is it about this fellow who's in the banquet? He made it. But what's going on with this robe and why is that behavior so I, I think, I think the, man, the man for the last hundred years who most clearly uh, articulated the issue we're talking about here is Dietrich Bonhoeffer mm-hmm. with uh, Cheap Grace. Yeah. You know, that this is, this is about, this is an issue about cheap grace. Cost and... of discipleship. Absolutely. All right. Now, well, if you want to. Give us some relief. We'll be like if Jerry If you want a little Clower. relief, <laughs> fire up. Y'all, if y'all don't know Jerry Clower, go see the. the coon story. Coon hunting story in which uh, one of the men gets up a tree to throw the coon out and turns out it's a mountain lion and he's wanting, he says, shoot up in here. And and kill him. He said, I can't. I might hit you. He said, well, fire up in here amongst us. One of us needs some relief. One of us got to have some relief. So All right. Give you a little relief from Paul's lovely, lovely passage. It's last words of a letter to the Philippians. Um, and it's got wonderful, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. And he keeps talking about stand firm in the Lord. The in the Lord is the key phrase mm-hmm. in this text. Um, he talks about uh, two women that um, he <laughs> invites to be of the same mind in the <laughs> Lord. Uh, apparently, um, they aren't getting on. Mm-hmm. And they have been, as it says later, my co-workers. I, I, I would say this is one of those texts that just for my, argues for the ordination and, and ministry of women. Mm-hmm. He doesn't differentiate between them and and Clement and all of these other folks, mm-hmm. they're his co-workers in the gospel. He's basically saying, you know, I know y'all ain't getting on, but you need to have the same mind as you do in the Lord that is a little bit of harmony. And this is an invitation to the church. Churches, we don't get on. Mm-hmm. And I think nine times out of ten, clergy included, we need to sit down and say, is this about me and my ego? Or are we trying to serve the Lord together, and how can we put that aside? One of my former bishops, and one that, frankly, uh, he and I didn't we were, didn't get on as well as we should have sometimes. But he had a, a tradition he did uh, go in a church for a, tr- a meeting with a church council, particularly a congregation that was in some discord. And he would go in the nave and get the paschal candle, which when lit represents the presence of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And he would light that candle in the middle of whatever meeting, the room they were meeting in. And he says, whatever we say or do tonight, let's remember Christ is in our midst with us as we and That's what he's inviting them and us to do when we find ourselves in discourse. Remember, Christ is present here. Uh, also, I want to I want to say when he a little bit later when he talks about remember that Christ is near. Having been raised the way I was, with uh, Jesus is coming soon as being sung in church about mm-hmm. once a month, you know, <laughs> Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Yep. 
Danny will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound, trumpets will surely sound. Anyway, enough of that. There's an assumption that Jesus is near means near in time to mm-hmm. being here, but perhaps Jesus is near means just what Bishop Warren meant when he brought the candle in. Jesus is here in our midst in that we are the body of Christ. We need to live like it. Jesus may well be near in the face of Euodia. Yep. Or Syntyche that you're fa- that you're right there with. Yeah. And uh yeah. That mm-hmm. uh, if we uh the church exists so that we can learn to practice Christian virtues. It's mm-hmm. real easy to say, well, I love everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm a Christian. I love everybody. It's real easy when you sit at home and watch TV church on TV and read your Bible in your private devotional hour. Try that at church with somebody that irritates you all day long every time you get close to them, which there are people I will own in every church mm-hmm. I've served, and I have loved these people in a Christian kind of way. <laughs> and the, and feel- it wasn't, the feeling and the was fe- mutual. The feeling was mutual. <laughs> to some people you don't get on with in a liking kind of way. Yeah. And this is it. So you get... Two things there, disagreements in ministry and women in ministry, you can talk about there and how, but all all of them have to do with being in Christ. And then lastly, he goes about these these uh, virtues, the Lord is near. Do not worry about anything but in everything, etc. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding. And then he goes, finally, beloved, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure. This is a list of stoic philosophy mm. values that were highly aspired to in the Greco-Roman world. Yeah. And what Paul is doing is maybe he's slapping little Jesus on him. <laughs> but what he's doing is saying, yeah. these are not humanly attainable, mm-hmm. but in Christ, in the Lord, mm-hmm. this is who you can be. This is how we become this. Yeah. Is yeah. not on our own, but in the Lord. In the Lord is the word that says, yeah. when we're in the Lord, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, we can't figure it out. And we become of, capable of these things we aspired to, but could yeah. never reach. And Paul was real good at uh, reaching back and grabbing a handful of things that he knew people had on their minds. You know, he did at Mars Hill. I see all of these uh, idols that you have, and you've got one here to the unknown God. I'm here to tell you who that God is. I can see this as a great technique. He said, look, everybody knows that the things that are true and honorable and just and runs right down the list of Stoic virtues. And they're going, yeah, yeah, we, we hear that all the time. We aspire to that. And then he situates those things right in the midst of being in Christ. Yep. So he is. He's making a connection here. I'm a, I'm going to give him that much credit and say he wasn't just rubbing the little Jesus on it. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I I was being facetious. He wasn't just rubbing the little you. Jesus on it. He was saying, you wonder why you can't do this? Because mm-hmm. you're yep. not in Christ. But in Christ, it. it's, we can do all things who Christ who strengthened me. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Absolutely. And I, I, I want to I wanna apologize for everybody to making, submitting, sub, sub whatever, uh, making y'all listen to me try to sing gospel quartet music. Well, it was you, fun. You gave us a good bass line there, and maybe I'll give that a spin at the end of the uh, 
at the get end some, of the show today. Get some good old boys in in uh, in some burgundy uh, burgundy tuxedos at the gospel sing. I, I may give y'all the Oak Ridge boys on that because they've That'd done work. that tune before. But uh, yeah, and I really appreciate you bringing up the the power of good comedy. Uh, Delmer and I have kicked around, and I'd still love to do sometime what preachers can learn from stand-up comedians because yep. the timing and the, the thing and the twist, um, I think there really are some things we can learn. But you also made me remember one of the lines, there were many, uh, from the great George Carlin uh, being a sportscaster, and he says, and now we have a parcel score in from the game, Stanford 42. <laughs> and, you know, exactly. it's that same thing you talk about. Same it's thing. just a simple twist and makes yep. it funny. All right, Bubba. I've enjoyed it, but I uh, don't reckon there's much else we need to do today other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Trouble sometimes. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbas and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Next Steps, performed by Half Dot Cool. We go out today with the gospel music classic as requested by my bubba, Jesus is Coming Soon. This was composed by R.E. Winsett and is performed by the Oak Ridge Boys. will soon be your happy forevermore when we meet on that shore free from all care rising up in the sky telling this world goodbye homeward we then shall fly glory to Troubles will soon be your happy forevermore. When we meet on that shore, free from all care, rising up in the sky, telling this world.